0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead to turn to Luke chapter 23. As you're turning, I want to open up. Now, this is a little bit different than some of you might be used to. I want some feedback on this question. What are some of the most important decisions you have made over your lifetime? What are some of the most important decisions you have made over your lifetime? Who wants to be the first brave soul and answer that question? Getting married, job, having children, where to live, cars. Some of you guys got some important decisions coming up here in a couple months. College, school, what to do. John, will am piggyback off of yours with getting married. I would say another important decision is who to date, when to date, if you're not close to getting married, I wouldn't waste time and money dating friends. Absolutely. All of these important decisions, right? And, and there's numerous more. I, I know uh, Julianne, getting married to Julianne, let's say both of us are healthy and, and make it to our 90s. Um, that would be 70 years. That one decision impacts 70 years of my life. Right? That's a big time impactful decision. Uh, where I went to college, I went to Thomas More College because I was dating Julianne and I wasn't very good at basketball. I couldn't go any bigger. Uh, Thomas More was Division Three. If you could walk and chew gum and dribble, you could walk onto that team and play. Um, and, and so I went there um, and, and that was just to get a degree to go to uh, another school for being a pastor. Um, and, and so that was a decision that impacted four years of my life. Um, and I look at friends. My friends change as people move in and move out, and you go through different life stages. And that's, that's everybody in the room. That's one thing you guys will learn. When you graduate high school, you'll be introduced to a new network of people, and, and you're going to leave behind some of your old friends. You won't see them day to day like you do at Holmes High School. And so those decisions are continually changing, continually impacting, but they're limited. Now, when you get to Christ and you deal with salvation, that's a decision that has an eternal impact. And so we're going back to Jesus on the cross. This is around 2,000 years ago. And we're going to look at a conversation Jesus had with two guys that were hung next to him on crosses. And there's one guy that made a decision. Actually, both made a decision. But one guy is enjoying the fruit of a decision made 2,000 years ago today. And I want us to look at that and I want us to think about some of these deep questions such as salvation and sin. Um, It's a huge, huge deal today. This isn't a light message. I want us to think deeply about these things because they affect eternity. I talked with uh, our students Thursday um, talking about their walk with Christ and I tried to help them explain to them how as their pastor, I'm going to give an account to God for how I shepherd them. And so I wanted to hear their story. Where are they in their walk with Christ? What about baptism and all these spiritual issues? This is the spiritual issue, number one, top priority. Who is going to save you from your sin? That's what we're digging in today. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read the conversation and then we'll go through it. All right. And also, hey, just by the way, One thing our church loves to do, if you do not have a Bible, and I know with phones, you can get on it and have it there. If you need a hard copy, we will get you a Bible. You've got to be in the Word. And so in the Bible, chapter 23 of Luke, we're looking at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray just as you opened up the hearts and the eyes and the mind of this criminal on a cross, I pray you move in the same mighty way today, that as we hear this message of grace, uh, this unmerited favor, I pray that we respond with saving faith. I pray that we deal with our sin, that we put that to death and that we pursue you. It's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. All right, let's look at the conversation. Criminal number one starts off, one of the criminals who were hung, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And us. This is how do you answer the question of salvation? How do you answer the question of salvation? Jesus came to earth to save. That was his purpose, right? When 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 if anybody ever asks you why did Jesus come to earth, his primary purpose on earth is to seek and to save the lost. As a matter of fact, that's how he was introduced to his earthly father, Joseph. Joseph is out, an angel shows up to Joseph, and this is what the angel says, Your wife, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Now that's very important. The message is clear. He is a savior of sins. Because what happens, and this is about 2,000 years ago, um, on a day like today, he's walking into town and people are praising his name. Hallelujah, thankful. Here comes the king, the one who sent in the name of the They are worshiping Jesus, riding into town. But within the week, they're yelling, crucify him. Why? Because he's not the savior they wanted. They thought, here comes a king that's going to save us from this oppressive Roman regime. The only problem is he's coming for a greater enemy an eternally greater enemy, namely sin, which carries a sentence of death. And so the angel made it clear, you're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save people from their sin. Do you see sin as that serious in your life? Do you see sin as something you need to be saved from? We'll keep going. In Luke 19.10, Jesus is speaking, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? That's John. Most of you guys have heard that verse before. If not, if you've gone to a sporting event, you'll see some dude carrying a sign that says John three, sixteen. That's the verse. But the next verse explains a little bit in more detail why Jesus came. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the purpose. Jesus came to save. So the criminal was right. He's saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. He was right in the fact that Jesus came to save. He was wrong in his application of how Jesus would save. Salvation for Jesus came through a cross, not escaping the cross. So you see that Jesus lays his life down so that you and I might have life. You see, in Matthew 20, 28, it says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or when Jesus says he's the good shepherd, this is what he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. The sheep have life because the shepherd laid his life down. That's very, very important to understand. Or Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died For us. And then we've spent a lot of time on this one, Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Jesus takes our place. So the criminal is right in looking to Jesus for salvation. Now he's saying it in a sarcastic way, right? Because you're not a king that can save when you're nailed to a tree. You don't have much power there. When you're beaten almost to death, he's not saying, oh, yeah, he's making fun of Jesus the way he's doing. But what he said, looking to Jesus for salvation is right. But that's an impossibility of what he's asking. Save yourself and save us. Jesus could have easily got off the cross. Right? So you guys see uh, Peter. They're all hanging out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, The mob comes to arrest Jesus. Peter draws a sword, cuts off the guy's ear. Right? Jesus says, hey, that's not how we're doing this. I don't need your help, Peter. I could call thousands and thousands of angels and wipe the whole mountainside out. I don't need your help. This is the way of salvation, and it goes to the cross, not escaping it. And so the only way that both of the criminals could be saved is if Jesus stays on the cross. And so in a way, Jesus could have said, I am saving you, but I'm not saving myself. That's how salvation works. If you ever look at the Old Testament... Isn't it crazy how Jesus saves? He asked Noah to build a boat. There there was no truck or tractor trailer that could get a boat to a lake or an ocean. People were ridiculing Noah for building a boat. But then the rain came and the floods came and nobody saw it coming. That's how God saves. Or you can go later on in the Old Testament, Moses. Moses leads a people out of Egypt but right into a body of water, the Red Sea, and you have a massive army chasing you, a massive body of water in front. And then he looks up to God and he's like, God, what are you doing? And and God's like, why'd you stop? Keep moving forward. And it's funny, as the first person takes a step, the water parts and they walk through on dry ground. Well, the Egyptians see this and they're like, oh, well, if they can do it, we can do it. They start running through the water and God closes the waves, smashing the army. Isn't it amazing how God saves? Or you can use on Joshua's occasion. He's the first-time leader following Moses, tough shoes to fill, and he's leading this army. He's like, hey, guys, this is how we're going to defeat this city. We're going to march around the city wall seven times, and we're going to blow some trumpets, and the walls are going to fall. Nobody looked at him like he was crazy. Why? Because they knew God saves in crazy ways. Or you go to the guy named Naaman. Naaman's a leader. Not one of God's people, but he comes to God's prophet, Elijah, and he has leprosy. Now, in in this time, leprosy, there was no cure for it. And what would happen, your skin would literally rot off your bones. And this guy is a big-time leader, and he has a lot of pride, but he is desperate because he has leprosy. And so he comes to Elijah. Elijah doesn't even come out of his house to meet him. He just sends a messenger, hey, if you want to be well, Naaman, go into the Jordan and dip yourself seven times. Naaman gets mad. He doesn't like the answer. He's like, we've got better rivers back home. This thing's dirty. I'm not getting in that. And then one of the people with him says, hey, man, if it works, isn't it worth a try? So he gets off his horse, goes and dips one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. On the way back up on the seventh, looks at his hands, looks at his arms, looks at his legs. No more leprosy. Isn't it crazy how God saves? Then you get to the David and Goliath story. And, and that is not a story about how mighty David is. That's a story how God saves. He can defeat the greatest champion to walk the earth with a shepherd boy bringing lunch to his older brothers with a sling and a rock. Because God saves in crazy ways, and a lot of times people miss it. And then you get to Jesus, and He's coming. The disciples missed it. That's why they scattered when Jesus was arrested. The Jewish leaders missed Jesus. He's born in a barn. He comes from Nazareth. He's on a cross. Like, there's no way this is the king. It's not the king they're looking for. And yet that's exactly how God the Father planned. And that's exactly how God the Son carried it out. That is the way of salvation. So how do you answer the question of salvation? It has to include the cross. <clears throat> Number two, look at what the second criminal said. Talking about, do you fear God? That's the question. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Um, it, he hears the sarcasm in the voice, Hey, save yourself and save us, since you're the Christ. Everybody's mocking Jesus at this time. Right? The crowd passing by, the Jewish leaders, uh, the soldiers, they give him a, a club, like a scepter, and then they take it and they hit him with it. They make a crown of thorns and they bash it on his head because a king needs a crown. Like, everybody's mocking him, and yet this criminal rebukes him, says, Hey, do you not fear God. I think it's it's interesting when you talk about uh, this fear. Jesus was understood that there was something special about this dude. So when you go through Luke, Luke seven sixteen, um, Jesus is entering a town. Right, he's going to town, and on his way in, there's a funeral procession on the way out. And he sees this mom weeping for her son, her only son. It's a hopeless and helpless situation. And he stops the procession and says, hey, uh, dude in the, the casket, get on up. And he gets up and then listen to the response. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, A great prophet has arisen among us and God had visited his people. Fear, why? Because of the awesome power in the word of Christ. And then we keep journeying with Jesus. He's in the boat now with his disciples. These guys are tough dudes. They're fishermen. They understand water and storms. He goes in the bottom of the boat and falls asleep. And the water is getting so bad. And in the boat, they're sinking. They're about to drown. The disciples have to go wake up. Jesus say, hey, we're about to die. We need you to do something. Jesus responds, peace be still. And the waves and the wind stop. Listen to their response. And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Or you have the account of Jesus healing a demon-possessed man. I've never seen a dude like this guy. The town was terrified of him. He runs around naked, tearing up stuff. They try to chain him up, and he breaks the chain. Like, this dude is a scary dude. Jesus gets out of the boat, and this guy's running towards Jesus. Jesus. I wish we could have seen the disciples' reactions. I don't know about you, um, working security at school, I draw the line when it comes to somebody that's naked. Right? I'm not touching them. Good luck. It's everybody for themselves in that moment. Dude running around naked. Somebody else got to take care of him. It ain't me. I wonder what the disciples' reaction was. Jesus talks to him, heals him, and it says that the town came up to see it, and they saw this man clothed, And speaking in his right mind. Now it wiped out a whole field of pigs because of the demons sent to them and listen to their response. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. Now this is this is my point. One criminal had no respect for who Jesus was. One stood in awe of who Jesus was. All of us are somewhere in those two camps. And here's the deal. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We were uh, out Friday morning, last day before spring break, and uh, Coach Neves and I are out doing morning duty, and we look and we're hearing sirens and there's a tornado warning, uh, but the clouds, I mean, there weren't many there. The sun was out. It was clear. And so we kept on here, hey, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. We helped students get off the bus, get in, getting people in. But the clouds started to grow. And then it got to a point where fear motiva- motivated us to do something, not stay outside. We had to go inside. The wind started to pick up and started shutting doors that we couldn't open. And Coach Nevels, he's a pretty strong dude. Right, and this wind is just bashing these doors in. The flagpoles are waving. I'm not sure if they're going to stay up. And then you see a little circular motion in the clouds. Like, that's a little scary. And the fear, the awe of the power of a little storm passing through motivated us to do something. It's the same way when it comes to God on an infinitely greater scale. When you look at God who creates the universe, who upholds your breath right now in His hand by the word of His power, that should make us stand in awe of who Jesus is. I want to walk with Him, not away from Him. And yet, in His grace, He lets people make their decision. Do you fear God this morning? You want to know how you know if you fear God? You listen to His voice. You know, the times when I mess up, and those they are often, it's, it's me thinking I can do whatever I want, and it won't matter. You know what? I'd rather do this. I don't care what God says. That's not standing in all of God. But when I walk in fear of the Lord, there is life and there is hope. Do you walk in the fear of God? Moving on down the conversation. Do you know the consequences of your sin? In Luke 23, 41, the criminal says, After he says, do you not even fear God? Says, and we indeed justly. Right? So we're here under this condemnation. We're here justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This is one of those things I pray for my people. I pray for my daughters. I pray for my friends. I pray that we are aware of our sin because the temptation is we're not that bad of people. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't kill anybody. I'm a decent person. That's not being aware of your sin. And so as you see some of the consequences of sin, Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. That's a consequence. That's pretty simple to understand and see. Or you see in James 1, 14 and 15, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives forth, or brings forth death. This is the crazy part. Sin in a marriage destroys a marriage ending in death. Sin in a parenting relationship destroys the relationship. Sin is deadly. And yet we think we can, ah, it's not that bad. We can push it off to the side, we can sweep it under the rug, or I'm strong enough to carry it myself. So, how do you deal with sin? At school, you guys get this handbook. And I hope... You guys haven't had to go through this, but every time somebody gets in trouble, there's this thing called due process. And the principals will bring out the handbook, go through it. Let's say somebody got in a fight. Phil will use you as an example. Phil gets in a fight. Phil, did you know fighting is against the rules? Yes. All right. Did you know you could be suspended if you get in a fight? Yes. Did you get in a fight? Yes. Boom. All right. You're suspended. Those are the consequences, right? Try to make it simple. Usually, with students, now there are some that are are tough to deal with, usually students understand. Here's the action. Here's the consequence. The problem comes in whether they fit underneath that category. I didn't get in a fight. He hit me first. I only hit him twice. Right? And so it, Usually it's, it's in whether or not I'm guilty or not. When you stand before God, there will be no argument. When you see the holiness and greatness of God, there will be fear and trembling. And you need a Savior in that moment. My prayer is you realize how damaging and deadly your sin is before you meet God as judge. I pray you meet him as Savior because there's mercy available. So here's just a couple questions for you to think about. Do you know the consequences for your sin? Maybe this is the first time you've heard of that. I didn't know I had to give an account to God. I didn't know my sin was that serious. Well, do you know now the consequences of your sin? Number two, do you think they are no big deal? Something you can hide or carry yourself? you think you're strong enough where your sin's not big enough to affect you? Do you know that your sins separate you from God? The purpose and joy and peace you're seeking in everything this world has to offer will only be found in God, but you can't get to God on your own because of your sin. But there's a way. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Do you know you are storing up wrath because of your sin? That's a scary thing. Romans 2.5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But then it's too late. Do you know you cannot escape the consequences of your sin that one day you will have to give an account to God? All right, number four. Do you believe Jesus is perfect, sinless Son of God? In Luke 23, 41, the criminal says, hey, we're here justly. This, This is what we deserve. But Jesus has done nothing wrong. This is the beautiful picture of three crosses that afternoon. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, speaks of God making Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Or, as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why was Jesus able to take away sin? Because he had no sin to pay for. Now, I need a couple of volunteers, just two. Just come on up. It doesn't matter who. Quaylen, thank you. You're going to need both of these. You go to this window. Donovan, you go to that window. All right, so you have three crosses on this day, on this Friday. You have sin in two of the people. So in there, write N, in I I N as big as you can. Now listen, I have a new respect for stained glass windows. You guys, I know it's hard to see, but up here are three crosses. Write in in big letters, Duquaylen and Donovan, in. Uh, and you can write it on the side if it doesn't show up in the cross. It doesn't matter. Right? So sin is in this criminal. Yes, this is my due reward for my actions. I'm hereby uh, on purpose. Same thing here. Sin is in. Now, when it comes to Jesus, is there any sin in Jesus? No. There is no sin. He is perfect. You can't see this at all. No sin. Not in. Right? So, in Jesus, there is no sin in him. Now, when it comes to the wrath of God, the wrath of God is on one of the criminals. Right? The wrath of God is on, we'll say this guy. This is the guy that that mocks Jesus. So, put on... And then here, the wrath of God, we'll see, is on Jesus. And then Jaqueline, we'll say, your guy's the guy, the second in the conversation. Wrath of God is not on. So not on. Now, how does this make sense? This is the verse we just read. The Father makes the Son be sin for us so that we can have His righteousness. So this is what happens. This guy says, you know what, I'll take care of sin myself. So there's sin in him, so now he has to pay for it. The wrath of God's still on him. Death doesn't end it. He will pay for it for eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Donovan, thank you. You can have a seat. Now, here, this is the awesome opportunity, right? This is where the rubber meets the road. There is sin in this guy, just like that other criminal, just like you and me. But the wrath of God's not on him. Why? Because the wrath of the Father is on the Son on the cross. And when that guy calls out on Jesus to save him, what goes to him is the righteousness of Christ. There's no sin in him. And so Jesus gives that thief his righteousness. And then guess what Jesus takes? His sin. So his sin goes to Jesus. Jesus makes a payment that this guy cannot pay so that he gets what only Jesus can give. Thank you, Joe Now, listen, that is a very simple illustration. Here's the point. All of us are in one of these two camps. Jesus takes on hell on the cross, experiencing the wrath of the Father. So when you hear Jesus say, uh, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's so that he can save all who call on the name of the Lord. That's the decision we're talking about today. You have to deal with your sin somehow. Do you believe Jesus can carry your sin because he had no sin to pay for? If Jesus is a sinner just like you and me, he can't pay for my sin. Can't save. Here's the, the, the interesting part. Um, All of us have to trust somebody or something to save, right? Could be a doctor, could be medicine, could be a person. And so that leads us to number five. Do you trust Jesus for your salvation, right? This is the the criminal calling out him. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a plea for salvation. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, But God shows his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, what he did on the cross, how much more will we be saved from him from the wrath of God? That's a beautiful picture of how salvation works. If Jesus is willing to lay his life down for us, when we stand before God, it won't be as judge, it will be as father. That's a beautiful picture of what Jesus purchases on the cross. So I use, uh, I'll use this example. I don't think I'll embarrass Ava because she's not. Aha, nursery duty. We're in good shape. So, we're walking, uh, we, we went to the park Tuesday, beautiful day, they were on spring break. Um, I had a, a meeting that afternoon so I just took the day, we went out to the park, walked the blue bridge, uh, went down the parks up there, the serpentine wall, then we're going through Sawyer Point and there's a lot of brush. And she's close to the brush and I'm on the other side of the sidewalk and all of a sudden we heard something in there. Now, I don't know what it was, it wasn't a bird, it wasn't a squirrel, it was a little bit bigger, sounded like a lot of moving. All I know is she jumped from where she was to behind me. Now. She won't say she was scared. I knew she was scared because she jumped behind me. And she thought that if this animal was going to eat something, it would take a long time to eat Dad. I have enough time to run. <laughs> so in that moment, she turns to me to save her. Right? And, and this is one of the beautiful pictures with having daughters, well, and sons, it works both ways. Um, Camden, last night, has a bad dream. Right? She comes in, Dad, Dad, and I'm just like, i oh, go back to bed, Dad, I need you to turn on the light in the closet. I'm like, Camden, you know where the switch is, Dad, I had a bad dream. So I get up, bring her back to bed, turn the light on, she's good. Or the, the instance of the jellyfish with Balen, uh, the jellyfish stings Camden, she jumps on me. Well, Balin's still in the water and she's about from me to Antoine. So I'm, I'm carrying Camden, she's screaming, right? If you've ever been stung by jellyfish, you understand the pain. Well, that terrified Balen. And and listen, I don't know if it was walking on water, but it was pretty close as she was coming towards me and she just jumps into my arms. Why? Because I can get her out of the water. Right? And I can save her from the sting of a jellyfish. Now, with that said, this past Friday we go to a concert. And I was looking, and listen, the concert was awesome. People are jumping. It is loud, which is how a concert should be. But we're underneath the balcony. And we're in a church, not a concrete building. Thankfully, our guys were under the middle section, which was a little bit more sturdy. I look to the right, and this balcony is bowing to the beat. Right? Dust is coming out of the lights. The strips of drywall are coming down. And I'm thinking, if that goes, nobody in here is strong enough to hold it up. Not strong enough to save. And then I started thinking this morning just about my daughters. There's some things I can save them from, there's some things I will never, ever be able to save them from. Right? A car accident may or may not be able to save them. Health issues may or may not be able to save them. You see how fragile life is? And I know there's one thing I'll never be able to save them from is their sin. I couldn't even save myself from that. And that's why I plead with you, trust Jesus for your salvation. Only he can carry the punishment for your sin. Nobody else on the planet can. And he's already made the payment. So that leads us to the conversation. Let's see how Jesus answered this guy's plea for salvation. Verse 43. And he said to him, truly to say to you today... You will be with me in paradise. Now understand the pain and the agony and the faith of this dude. Uh, This criminal is looking at Jesus and he understands what's going on. Jesus is helpless. He's bloodied. He's bruised. He's about to die. There's only a few more hours of his life. And yet he looks over and God has opened up his eyes so that he can see the glory of a crucified Savior, a suffering servant. Only God can do that. A lot of people missed out on Jesus, but this guy didn't. And he calls out to him, hey, remember me. And Jesus says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is having trouble breathing. And yet he clears his voice enough to reassure this guy, hey, your faith has saved you. In Romans, or in, uh, Romans 10, 9 through 13, I want you to hear uh, what Paul says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a fact. That is a promise. That's all you have to do. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Jesus could have saved both criminals, only one called, only one was saved. And then we read the the final verse. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a beautiful promise. Everybody in the room, God's grace is sufficient to save you no matter how far you run from God. Your past is not embarrassing to God. That's why He goes to the cross. He can cover it. He's not ashamed of your mistakes. As a matter of fact, it's only when you realize you're stuck in those that you can be saved. Only those who know they need a Savior will turn to a Savior. So, here it is. Uh, Deathbed conversions are a good thing. I remember uh, one guy, Gail Blackburn is his name, tough dude, um, big time uh, with the the police. Um, Here's a guy that was tough as nails and his conversations reflected that. Didn't need help from anybody. Um, then he was diagnosed with cancer and God radically transformed his life. He hears the gospel. He trusts Jesus. He's baptized. He's walking with Christ for the, the next few months that he has life. That was a beautiful picture for him and his family. Now, here's something crazy. And I want you guys to think about this. Would you take cancer to rob you of 10, 15, 20 years of your life? for an exchange, eternity with Christ. You see, that's how serious this is. A lot of people would say, uh, give me 20 years. I love this. All this stuff is fading. It's going, you are designed and created for an eternity somewhere. Salvation is crucial. And so I, I put that deathbed conversions are good, but you want to know when the best time to call on the Lord is? Right now. Right now. He can hear you. You call on God to save you of your sin, He'll hear you. Just like He heard the thief. You talk about bad timing. Hey, I don't know about you, I'm nailed to this cross. He he doesn't answer that. He can barely breathe, let alone speak. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you ever done that? Today's a good day. And then finally, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. What makes paradise, paradise? Jesus. I know of a lot of people that that tell me what they're going to do in heaven, and they're going to have this and this. Listen, I would not be disappointed if heaven included motorcycles, because I don't know if I'm going to get one on this planet. And so that wouldn't be bad. But you want to know what makes paradise, paradise? Jesus. If your heaven doesn't include Jesus, you're in the wrong place. It says, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Jesus is what your heart desires and longs for. And if you keep filling it with substitute, you'll never be satisfied. You'll be satisfied when you get to Christ. Uh, we went to, uh, we walked across that bridge and we saw a Paul Brown Stadium and uh, Great American Ballpark, right? We used to just have one park, which was enough for two bad teams. But now we got two ballparks for each bad team, right? But nobody was there. You want to know why nobody was there? The Bengals are in the offseason and the Reds are in Mexico. St. Louis Cardinals. Nobody's there. The only reason why we have two ballparks, one for a football team and one for a baseball team, is because we have professional Bengals and the professional Reds. That's why the ballparks are there. The reason heaven is heaven is because Jesus is there. Your Lord and Savior is reigning and ruling. The kingdom is the kingdom because the king is there. So a couple of things, applications, and and, uh, we're going to finish with the song today. Just from this text, no matter how bad your life is or how desperate things get, hope is found in Christ. This guy, that's a bad day. Like when you're sitting on death row and you know the pain that is coming through a cross, that's a hopeless situation. You know how it's going to end. And yet what he found was eternal joy because of the guy on the cross next to him whose name is Jesus. Hope is offered to you too. Secondly, be blown away by God's grace. You see, the hard part is for me convincing you and convincing myself, I bring as much to the table as this guy brought to the table. He he couldn't say he lived a good life. He deserves this. He deserves salvation. He doesn't. We can't say it either. I'm just as helpless to save myself as this guy was on the cross. And so that's grace. I get what I don't deserve. Jesus pays for what he didn't have to so that I might have life. That type of grace should transform your life. Your life should be marked with joy, thankfulness, humility. A a lot of times I, I see in the church pride starting to grow. And I think that's because we forget of what Jesus purchased for us. None of us brought anything to the table. None of us are worthy of salvation. It's not God's lucky he saved me. No, it's, man, what a gracious and merciful God that he would go to the cross for me. Be blown away by God's grace. And then finally, it's not too late. It's not too late. I've been praying for a guy for years, years and years and years. I'm probably around 20 years now praying for uh, this specific individual and has yet to turn to Christ but there's still time. And so I'll keep praying. I never know when God might show up. This guy never knew when God might show up, but he showed up and he showed up on time. And then there's also these things called 11th hour breakthroughs. All right. As one guy titled it and then he understands that this is not a story about uh, sanctification, growing in Christ. Um, This is a story of salvation, but it has application to your walk with Christ. You guys might be struggling with something in your life and you might have been struggling for a long time, you never know when God might show up and deliver you from that. So you keep fighting sin. right? Who knows what it could be? In this room, it could be, very, it could be all sorts of stuff. And yet we keep running to Christ because we know He is a strong and mighty Savior. So this is, this is my prayer, and this is how we'll close. I believe the Holy Spirit moves in His people. As you guys have heard the word, I think there's a lot of things that we covered from salvation to sin to trusting in Jesus for salvation. However God is leading your heart right now, you need to do business with God. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'd like you guys to speak to God. Take whatever is on your hearts before the Lord. And then when we're done praying, we'll stand and we'll worship him. All right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for sending your son whose purpose was to save people from their sin. And so, Lord, I ask for you to do what only you can do. I pray that you open up our eyes to the seriousness of our sin. I pray that you give us wisdom and and help us see with clear eyes the devastation sin is doing in our own hearts and then in our relationships. And then I pray that you open up our eyes to the glory that is alone in Christ. I pray that we see him. Father, I pray that you open up our eyes like you did the thief on the cross. I pray you help us see the king whose kingdom we desperately want to be in. And so, Father, I pray that if anyone here has never called on Jesus to save them, I pray they do that today. And then I pray for those who know Jesus as Lord. I pray that they keep fighting sin in their own life, understanding that you are a God who is working and moving, I pray that you give us endurance in praying for others who do not know you. I pray you help us be bold for Easter, that we speak the gospel to other people. And so, Father, I pray that you move and pour out your Spirit. I pray that you do what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.